0: Mark chapter 1, we will be looking at Mark chapter 1 from verses 1 to verse 20. Uh, if you have a copy of the Bible, it would be great if you could have it there in front of you. Uh, if not, and you'd like a copy, there's some copies right at the back, uh, copies of the Bible. And if not, just listen with, with attention, uh, this, this chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Father, we pray that you may speak to us as we consider your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark is uh, very short. In fact, it's the shortest of all the Gospels. Sixteen chapters. And the Gospel according to Mark is divided in two parts. We could say the first eight chapters tell us who Jesus is. And as you read through the Gospel of Mark, you will see that Mark is painting a picture of who this Jesus is. A man who, unlike any other men, had power and authority. Power and authority. Power and authority over illnesses, over pain, over suffering. Power and authority in teaching, power and authority to forgive people's sins. So Mark spends eight chapters writing about this Jesus. And then he arrives to the uh, climax of Mark in chapter 8 when Peter says, You are the Christ. And from that point onwards, Mark changes. No longer talking about who Jesus is. But now he moves on to telling us why he came. And the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples is, I'm going to die. And his disciples are, huh? Later in, in the following chapter, he says, I'm going to die. And his disciples scratching their head. And then in chapter 10, again, he tells them for a third time, I must die. And the disciples don't get it. Later, as he's arrested, taken, and then killed. As he's there on the cross, the the, the, the soldier, the centurion, looks and says, truly this man is the son of God. So Peter said, this is the Christ. And the centurion says, the son of God. But he doesn't finish there. Chapter 16 reminds us that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead defeating death what's wonderful about mark is that right at the beginning it begins in the first line it tells us the plot it gives us right the, the plot or the storyline of mark read it there with me it says the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god let's read it together the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark goes right into it. He presents Jesus straight away. Luke begins with the baby. Mark Matthew begins with a genealogy. Mark goes right to it. And that one statement, that one statement was a, a, a political statement. This one statement could have landed Mark into prison. There he begins by telling us the Christ, the Son of God, the plot of the story right at the beginning. But this one statement would have landed him into prison. Worse than that, he could have lost his life. By simply saying this one statement. Let let me explain. Notice it says he's calling Jesus the Son of God. Did you know for the uh, Romans... Uh, There was a man that died. And as soon as he died, the Romans called this man God. They declared him God. This was Julius Caesar. In fact, Julius Caesar was called Divine Julius. And his son Octavius was called the Son of the Divine. Or the Son of of god can you see what mark is doing here he's saying the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god not caesar jesus christ this political statement would have landed him in prison and worse than that he could have lost his life but he doesn't finish there he says he calls him the christ now many people think that christ is a surname of jesus but no Christ is not the surname of Jesus. Christ is 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 the title. Christ means the Anointed One. He comes from the uh, Old Testament Hebrew word for Messiah. Christ, the Anointed One. This is what kings would uh, have on them before they became kings. They would anoint them. They would put, pour oil on their head, and as they were pour, poured oil, they, they would be now kings. Can you see what Mark is doing? He's saying, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, God's chosen king, the son of God. This is a big political statement. But there's one last thing. Notice there, it says the beginning of the gospel. That word gospel is, is, is a, it's a special word in, in the Greek. This special word for gospel means good news. But it's not just like any good news. This good news was specifically used to declare, for example, the birth of a royal. It would be used to declare that the, royal, the royalty or the king had become king. And so people would go and spread the gospel. The good news, the king is on his throne. Or it would be used for a declaration of a military conquest by the emperor. Can you see what Mark is doing? (laughs) The beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This Jesus is the Lord, not Caesar, not the emperor. And so to say this, you could have lost your life. Disciples of Jesus, like Mark, recognize Jesus for who he is. The Christ, the Son of God. Disciples of Jesus recognize that he is the good news of God. But disciples don't only recognize who Jesus is. Disciples also follow in his steps. I wonder, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? Now, you might say, well, yeah, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But does that have a change in your life, in your, the way you, you live? Does that mean something to you? You see, nowadays, people it's easy for people to, to think that Jesus is a man, a mere man. But to say that Jesus is the son of God, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, God in the flesh, people had a hard time believing in that. But if Jesus is truly whom the Bible says he is, he should have a big impact in one's life. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good man? Is he just a good teacher? Or is he Lord? Is he Lord and Saviour? But you see, the disciples not only recognise who he is, they also follow. And here Mark shows us the way to follow Jesus. He tells us how disciples should follow. And this is what we will see briefly. Now, the whole of Mark tells us how disciples should follow. But we will consider briefly from this chapter, verses one to verse 20 now before jesus comes into the scene from verse 2 onwards we see another man another man by the name of john this was john the baptizer or john the baptist and john the baptist comes as a herald you see when a king would enter a land or a a a a, a, a region a herald would go ahead with with trumpets sounding left, right and centre with royal robes and would declare the king is coming, the, the emperor is about to arrive and people would make preparations for the king or the emperor to arrive. And, and the Bible tells us that God appointed a one man called John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord to come. But then we have here a John the Baptist that doesn't quite look very royal he, he he's dressed up in such a particular way and then he's eating a certain pati- particular food look, look at it verse six now john was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist just so you know that's how elijah would be dressed i, I, I leave it for you for when you read the rest of mark you will remember ah Oh, that's why Kevin mentioned Elijah. Let's carry on. And verse 6 and ate locusts and wild honey. You see, this herald didn't look pretty royal to me, or doesn't look pretty royal to me. He goes and proclaims the entrance of the king he's not only dressed in this way but he also comes out from the wilderness look at there in verse four john appeared baptizing in the wilderness this is the desert talking about wilderness jesus christ also had to be to, to spend some time in the wilderness look at there in verse 12 In verse 12, we see that the Spirit of God took Jesus and took him into the wilderness, to the desert. Now, a king spending time in a desert? What was he doing there? The Bible says that he he was sent there or taken there to be tempted by Satan. He was tempted not for one hour or two hours. He was continually tempted for 40 days. Now, we know Three temptations specifically because elsewhere they are mentioned, but he was tempted continually, not just three times, continually during that period of time. He, he suffered what temptation is uh, uh, the hardship of temptation. He, he, he was afflicted through, through hardship of, of not having uh, bread, uh, being there in the desert. 40 that, that doesn't sound pre royal to me. A, a king in the desert. And the herald in the desert. But, but then the herald, what happened to the herald? Look at there in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, you see. John the Baptist was arrested. He was taken and later was killed, beheaded. This word for arrested, the Greek word for this is to be delivered, to be handed over, to be betrayed. And it's exactly the same word that Mark uses later for Jesus Christ. He was arrested, he was taken, handed over, he was betrayed. What's going on here, this royal king and his herald being arrested and being handed over and killed? So if that is the king and his herald, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, Mark outlines the pattern Jesus Christ exemplifies what it means to follow Jesus and his herald, the pattern for all believers. Take, for example, the call. We hear uh, the the God speak and Jesus appears. This is uh, an observation by uh, Kurovila. He says that Jesus speaks or God speaks and Jesus appears. We see verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, God speaks through the Bible. Mark is outlining it. And then Jesus later appears. We see in verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is the voice of God the Father speaking from heaven. Everyone could hear it. And then Jesus appears. The same pattern is with believers. You see, Jesus speaks and suddenly disciples appear. Look, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, Jesus speaking, and I will make you become fishers of men. Verse 18. And immediately they left the nets and followed him. Disciples. Verse 19. And going on a a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. Verse 20. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servant and followed him. You see, God speaks, Jesus appears. Jesus speaks. His disciples follow. His disciples appear. Another example of the pattern. John the Baptist preaches. And what did John the Baptist preach? Look at there in verse 4. What is he preaching? To preach is to proclaim, to herald. Look at their voice 4. What is he preaching? Anyone? Don't be shy. Kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. But verse 4 says. John the Baptist appeared, baptising in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. repentance. We'll talk about what baptism is in just a moment more. But it's a baptism of repentance. To repent means to turn away from the direction you are going and turn to the completely opposite direction. To repent means to confess one's sin, to recognise you're a sinner and to turn from your sin towards God. It doesn't mean to turn from your sin to something else around in the world. That's not repentance. If you say, oh, I've I've, I've been a thief all my life. I'm going to stop being a thief from now on. That is not repentance. Repentance is stopping, recognising, turning towards God. That's what John the Baptist preached. But what did Jesus preach? Look at there in verse 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee... Proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. What does it say there? Repent, Repent and believe in the gospel. There's a pattern there. John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance, and later in chapter. 6 verse 12, we read that the disciples were commissioned to preach repentance. To tell people, turn away from sin, turn towards God. Jesus gives us a pattern of what it means to follow him. But finally, there's another example. John the Baptist not only preaches repentance and Jesus... Not only does God speak and Jesus appears and the same with disciples, but John the Baptist spends time in the wilderness, in the desert. And John the Baptist then is taken and killed. What happened with Jesus? Spends time in the wilderness, then he's taken and then killed. What does that mean For the followers of Jesus. What would it mean for us as followers of Jesus Christ? This is what the Bible says. A disciple is no greater than his master. There is a cost to discipleship. In fact, later Jesus Christ tells to his disciples that they will be arrested and betrayed and even killed. Mark was the secretary to Peter. Peter got killed. The disciples of Jesus, all of them got killed. But John, many followed in death because they associated with Jesus. They said, no, Caesar is not Lord. Boom. Killed. Jesus is Lord killed. This is what Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return of his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means to take one's cross, to die. And follow him. To die to my own desires. To die to your own philosophies. To die to your own ideologies or thoughts and ideas. And to order yourself under Christ, who is King. To follow Christ is to die. To consider the things of this world as nothing, no worth comparing to the glories to be revealed. To follow Christ means to die. To follow Christ means to follow in his steps. And Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to, 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 to find the, 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 the healthy ones. He came for the sick. He came for those who could recognise that there were sinners. I wonder, can, can you see that you're a sinner? Can you see that, that you need a saviour? Or would you say, no, I'm pretty fine. Thank you very much. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And this is why. It is called the gospel. The good news. The good news is good because there is a bad news. The Bible tells us that there is such thing as hell. This is not something that one makes up. This is something that Jesus spoke about Jesus preached about hell more than anyone else in the bible Jesus warned about hell where is the where the where the worm never dies or the there is crashing and gnashing of teeth where the fire ne- never is quenched the bible tells us that one day we will stand before God in judgment to give an account that is the bad news and it all began when at, right at the beginning In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything was good. In fact, the Bible says it was very good. No pain, no suffering, no death, no sin. But man rebelled against God. And from that very moment, when Adam and Eve turned away from God in in sin, God said, you shall not take from that tree. And they were deceived. She was deceived. He took it and sinned against God. From that point... The world is in the mess it is today. Death, pain, suffering, evil. But one day God will judge. Those who got away with murder, one day the day of reckoning is coming. Those who got away with immorality or what have you, one day will stand before God in judgment. But you see the good news is that right at the beginning God promised a saviour. When Adam and Eve sinned, shortly after, God said he would provide a man who would come to save the people from their sins. And that is the refrain of the Bible. All throughout the Bible, you see that the Saviour is promised over and over again, all throughout the Scriptures. And then Jesus came. The good news. The good news is that God made us. Man rebelled, but God promised a Saviour. In fact, God the eternal son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, became a man and lived and dwelled among us and took on himself our sin. So that in his death, we can go free. In his death, my sin is reckoned to be there on the cross. When he died, we died to sin. And now the life we live is life in Christ. But it demands a response. And the response is that our word, rebirth. Repentance. The response means you need to turn away from sin towards Jesus Christ, the Lord. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of salvation. That is the good news. Will you believe the good news? Do you believe the gospel? May I urge you. Listen to your conscience. Turn to Christ and be saved. Kresta in a moment more, will come to the front and she will be reading her testimony. She'll share with us how she became a Christian. She will be sharing with us uh, in a moment more. We we will sing a hymn first and then uh, she will come to the front and she will share with us. And I want you to pay close attention because... Uh, Cresta has had a long journey. In fact, uh, Cresta, uh, in, in, in a younger age, she, she professed faith in Christ, but she was not born again. She will share with us that later she was born again. In fact, when she was dipped under water, she was a young girl. It was not baptism. Because baptism is going public. Telling people, something has happened in my heart. Something indeed has happened. A reality is now here. I've been born of God. Baptism symbolises that. As, as the person is lowered under the water, symbolises death. A reality that's already happened in, in, in her heart. And as she comes out of the water, it symbolises resurrection. A reality that has already happened in her life when Christ Jesus rose again from the dead, is reckoned to be hers. Which means that when we die, when she dies, she will rise again from the dead. Why? Because Christ defeated death the, with his death. Death died with the death of Christ. And so she will rise again from the dead. And so she will be going public. And that is in baptism. Going public in baptism. Now... Baptism is not only going, but baptism is obedience because Jesus called us to be baptized, repent and be baptized. So if you believe in the gospel, if you believe that Jesus is your savior and you haven't been baptized, let me urge you. It is an act of obedience. Follow Christ in baptism. If you if you, if you don't really understand what all this means, let me urge you read through Mark. And I pray that the Lord may give you, warm your heart to the gospel and that you may indeed be saved. Let us come before the Lord in prayer, sing a next hymn and then I'll ask Cresta to come to the front to, to share with us her testimony. Father, I give you thanks again for your word. Lord, we pray that you may be with Cresta and that you may be with us and that you may help us, Father, to Put into practice that which we have heard. For Lord, the wise man built his house on the rock. Is the man who hears the word and puts it into practice. The waves come. The winds blow. And he's certain and sure and solid on the rock. Father, I pray that we may not be like the man who built his house on the sand. He heard the word and never put it into practice. Lord, we pray that you may be with us and help us to be the people you want us to be. Declaring that Jesus, only Jesus, Jesus is Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.
1: appreciate you being here, thank you. Um, I was thinking about my testimony and um, thinking about how to fit 49 years into not that long a time. (laughs) So I started writing and I wrote and I wrote (laughs) and I wrote pages. (laughs) I thought no, I'm not going to script it, I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit just to sort of help me and just guide me in what I say and just put a few notes down and just look at my notes. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, My mum, it begins in 1985, Um, my mum became a Christian, born again Christian, and um, she took us to a church called Enol Baptist Church, Um, I was 12 years old at the time, Um, my brother and I were taken to Enol Baptist Church, and um, you know they preached biblical truth there, they preached the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, how to be saved, repent, believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Um, it was a wonderful time there. Um, we joined Discoverers. Um, it was a youth group, um, part of the church. Amazing time, amazing memories. Jeanette was part of that as well. <laughs> um, amazing teachers, um, men and women of God. And, um, you know, I, I at 14... You know, I, I was a child, still, I had no experience of life whatsoever, um, really. Um, yeah, I just didn't, I believed, I did believe. I believed there was a God, um, and I believed, I, I did say sorry for my sins, and I did repent. Um, but was there a change of life? <laughs> was I born again? Um, probably not. Actually, I wasn't. I was looking back at myself thinking, oh, was I really born again? No, I wasn't. I didn't have a change of lifestyle. But then I was 14, you know, things carried on as they already, always always had, to be fair. Um, but I, I was baptised by immersion like I'm going to be today and professed that belief in Jesus Christ um, and carried on as usual. And um, I met someone, uh, a boy, <laughs> um, through another church and... Um, he he asked me out and I said, Okay. <laughs> um he was a Christian, um, a really strong Christian to be fair. Um and I didn't drive, I was fifteen at the time, um and he, he wrote me lots of letters of love letters I suppose you'd call them, <laughs> at least twice a week, um professing his love for me and, and you know how it was God's will and you know this is you know this this is this is great and so I, I used to look forward to these love letters every you know, twice a week um receiving these, and um he yeah I mean we it was a very pure relationship it wasn't it was no sex involved, nothing like that um and he asked me to marry him when he was eighteen, I think I was seventeen, something like that. It's all kind of a bit foggy to be fair um and I said yes, and um that was amazing, and uh I got a letter one day that said. I'm really sorry, um, I've been praying about this and it's not God's will for me to marry you. So, obviously, my first boyfriend, first relationship, I was absolutely devastated <coughs> by this, and thinking it was this is my life before me and it, it all just crumbled away. And then um, he said, no, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. And um, so that basically put me on a bit of a journey of bitterness and anger for quite a long time, to be fair. Um, you know... I was in, I went into the world, I was still going to church, but I thought, well, you know, if a Christian man could do this to me, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bother with Christian men at all. Um, and I just went out into the world, basically. Um, but still kind of hanging on to God there, somehow, somewhere. Um, yeah, and in 95, I started um, at University of London, and for um, three years, um, the rave the scene was in full swing, basically, at the time. Uh, acid house, um, raving, um, I joined that scene with gusto, loved it, <laughs> I was into glam house, um, joined Ministry Sound, Pushkin nights, labyrinth, you know, as, uh, doing all that, um, you know, raving to 8 in the morning, coming out all blurry eyed, eight, 8 o'clock the next day, um, taking pink champagne speed, you know, quite wiggly, you know, picking up, putting it down, it's fine, it's what everyone did, didn't it, um, I also was part of the night scene. I was a bouncer. I was um, a bouncer from the door, and um, yeah, enjoyed that side of things a lot. You know, it paid for some of my student activities. Um, it's good money. Um, and then I met because I was in that scene. I met um, a bloke who was a, another bouncer. Um, I really picked wisely. <laughs> I'm really looking back. I'm like, I really was not. Anyway, I was in my twenties. I, I didn't have much experience of life, particularly. I was just like, just wanted love. Who 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 doesn't really? Um, that's what I was searching for, I suppose. Um, so he's a bodybuilder, and he was mount bouncer, Great. Parents must have loved that. <laughs> So um, he asked me to marry him, and I said, yes, okay, and um, we got married, full-on church wedding, um, you know, married in front of God, because they were still part of, I I still wanted, you know, to be part of God, you know, there was still that God aspect in my life, um, hadn't left me, but I wasn't a believer, really, I wasn't truly saved at all. Anyway... Um, when we were married i uh, i found out that he was a steroid abuser um a cocaine addict He's, uh, he was um he cheated on me with various people including prostitutes it was it was it was horrendous um, so i uh, i divorced him on the grounds of adultery within a year um it was it was a pretty hard time to be fair So basically, I threw myself more into partying, into clubbing, enjoying myself, forgetting all of what's gone on in the past. Um, I started another three-year degree in occupational therapy, and I threw myself into my riding as well, because I'd always been brought up riding with horses. My family's involved with horses, and um, I wanted to... I, I became obsessed, really, with dressage and horses, and getting horses... Um, buying horses, coveting them, really, you know, really wanting, wait, wanting, waiting for the next horse to come and spending money on that. And, and that was in 1998. Um, I loved it. It was an addiction. It was, I was coveting all the time. There was a lot, lot of lies and deceit around that um, with horses, to be fair. And it, there always has been in my life, a lot of lies and deceit with my parents and um, with, with, with that, and my grandparents. Um, Basically, I don't know if this is true or not, or this is how I see it, I don't know. But in 98, I, had my fir- I bought my first dressage horse. The first one reared up backwards, smashed its wither. The second one died of this unusual condition um, when I was away on holiday. The third one had a neck operation, was put to sleep. The fourth one became unrideable, was put to sleep. And the fifth one um, had kissing spines. And that was like, uh, is a serious condition in the back of a horse. So I was like, oh, you know what? You know, someone's t- trying to tell me something here, <laughs> you know what? Maybe you should stop coveting horses and stop lying and deceiving around horses because every single horse ended up an absolute disaster. Um, but I was still raving and clubbing at the time anyway. I think I must have spent about 20 years in the rave scene, 20 years in the club scene. Um, but I always had that sense of a God, that God was there. You know, it never left me. Um, Even when I was raving, you know, um, I still raised my hands in the air to to God. Even when the rave tunes were going on, everyone was in hands in the air on drugs, and I was like praising God. Strange, but that's what I was doing. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time who was mixing vinyl records, and he was DJing. I thought, oh, if you can do that, I can do it. So I started learning to DJ, to mix records, um, you know, vinyl. And um, we started parties together, um, and at one of these parties, there was a big promoter from London who was there. He saw, he saw me, six foot two, big wigs and extensions of my hair, fluorescent pink, mixing happy hardcore. And he thought, oh, I know, I'll ask her to, to play in my club nights. So he, he did, and I did. So I, I, I played um, vinyl records Um, in in SE1 Club, around London, in Holland. Um, For five years, I was in the industry for... Um, At the same time, I qualified as an occupational therapist. Don't know how I quite managed that, with raving and (laughs) doing what I was doing, to be fair, because I used to rave at the weekends, Monday morning, pick up the phone. Oh, I I don't know what I'm saying. (laughs) Who am I speaking to? It was a bit like that. It was a bit of a fog. So... Um... Anyway, so I managed to qualify as an occupational therapist, um, and I started skiing actually as well in 2002. Um, and in 2007, I met Dan, and um, in Morzine in France. And we married in 2011. Um, I then decided before we had children to go back to church. No idea. I can't remember why I decided that. Uh, maybe that sense of God was. So was still there, hadn't left me. Um, yeah, so I thought, I'd, okay, so we found a church, Sitting on Baptist Church, um, and went back. I became a member there, I professed, I was a Christian, uh, I even took on Sunday school teaching. Um, I taught the kids, I can tell them how to be saved, what to do to be saved, and yet was I saved myself? No. I was one of these hypocrites that was sitting in the church. Um, that could profess everything and tell you everything, but I had no real change of heart. I was still carrying on in my old ways, still with my clubbing, my party, my raving, the drug-taking, everything that came with that. Um, I was confessing one life and then acting another life. That's pretty much a massive hypocrite, and I was. Um, But I thought nothing of it. I thought nothing of it. Um, I had over my daughter and then Jacob... Um, But I still partied. We still partied. You know, nothing was going to stop me from my partying. Um, I was determined my life was not going to change. Not even kids was going to change my life at all. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wasn't going to change for anyone. No way. Anyway, so um, many years passed. We're we're now up to autumn 2019. (laughs) Um, And I I have a friend on Facebook who's... I knew her many, many years ago, and she's not really a friend, she's an acquaintance. And um, she's one of these people that kept posting up videos, of religion, religious videos, you know? And then like religious comments and religious things. And I'm like, oh, for goodness sake. You know, as you look at these things, you think, oh, I'm not, it's not for me. I'm not even going to bother listening. One day, okay, I thought, okay, I'll just open this video and I'll watch it. and I, And it was, it was a preacher called Ray Comfort, and he, he's a man who Ze- lives in America, but he's from New Zealand, and he used to go, he's in his 70s, and he goes street preaching, and he gets his little dog, and he puts his little dog in the basket in the front, and he cycles along, and he just um, speaks to people, and um, basically he was speaking to people on the street, saying, oh, do you think there's an afterlife? Where do you think you're going to go if you, if you die? Um, and, um... They were just giving their various opinions about what they thought. Um, and then he said, well, are you a good person then? Do you think, where do you think you're going to go? Do you think there's a heaven and a hell? And if there really is a God and there's a heaven and a hell, where do you think you're going to go? And then people said, well, I'm a good, good person. I'm going to go to heaven. So I'm like, well, yeah, I'm pretty good as well. I'll, I'll probably go there too. Anyway, so he used the Ten Commandments as a mirror to reflect into people's lives. So he said, well, if you're a good person, do you want to do the good person test? So people were doing a good, I thought, okay, so basically he was saying, well, okay, so how many lies have you told in your life? And then the per- person was standing there going, well, quite a few really, so if you've told that many lies, what does that make you? Well, a liar, all right, so have you ever stolen anything, no matter how small? And then the person was saying, well, yeah, I mean, have you struggled in time at work? Well yeah, who hasn't, basically. Have you swallowed anything? Yeah. So what makes what does that make you? A thief? Yeah, a thief. He goes, No, it's a, you're a lying thief. Oh okay. And then commandment number three. Have you ever used the name of the Lord your God in vain? Like say OMG or Jesus Christ is a blasphemy word. I mean that's one I was like, well, tick in my box because I've never done that. I've never actually been brought up to, to say that or do that. Um this person was saying, well, yeah, I do. I do blaspheme in the name of Jesus Christ and, and, and God in every, every sentence I, I, I say. Um, and they, he said, well, would you actually use your mother's name as a swear word? And they were like, thinking, well, no, I wouldn't, actually. I wouldn't use my mother's name. because Why not? Because you respect and love your mother. You wouldn't use her name in place of a, of a swear word, would you? And they were like, no, no, but then you, you would use the name of God in place of a swear word. And he's the God that made you your mother, who gave you your mother, who gave you your eyes, who gave you everything, and that you don't respect him enough to actually then not swear. And it says in the Bible, those who take his name in vain will not be held guiltless on the day of judgment. (laughs) And then anyway, number seven commandment. (laughs) Have you ever committed adultery? No, I haven't done that. But it says, Jesus says, if you ever looked at lust with someone, it's as if you're committing adultery in your heart. Pornography, yes. Looking with lust, yes. So, oh, that's another big cross in my book. Have you ever dishonoured your parents? Commandment number five. Yeah, plenty of times. Lots of lying and deceit over the years. And a big one for me was covetousness. You know, obviously with horses, houses, various things. Um, So basically, there was I looking at these videos until one, two in the morning, looking at various different ones and, like, getting more and more feeling more and more sinful, more and more convicted about, oh my gosh, you know what, I've broken every commandment going, you know? Um, Where would I be on judgment day if God took my life? Um, I would be going to hell. I would. You know, I mean, God is merciful, yes, but he's also a just judge. He can't abide any sin in heaven. Um, You know, and, and people will say, well, that's okay, everyone does it, everyone lies, everyone steals, you know, who doesn't? He doesn't. Um, Everyone blasphemes, you know, it's just how we've been made. But we weren't made like that. We weren't made to do any of these things. Um, And we can't get into heaven if we do do any of these things. So I was really convicted. I started praying and confessed that I was a sinner. I needed Jesus in my life. I needed to repent of how I was, um, you know, um, and put my faith in Jesus Christ, basically, as my saviour you know, and, and turn away from the things. It was like like the law, God's law, the Ten Commandments, has been printed in my heart. Um, and the the law was... was. It's like a mirror has been shone into my heart. And then I can actually see my sin for what it really is in front of a holy God. You know, I could see my sin. And it's like my eyes were open, my ears were undefended, my mind was open and I could see who I I was in front of a holy God. I started reading the Bible again. Um, I had a hunger for it, I really did. I I was led to Revelation. That was the first book I read. And it's the end of the Bible. And it's considered by some the most difficult book to read. But actually, I was just, I I could understand it. I, I bought a book to help me understand it. And I was pulled towards Revelation about Jesus Christ um and then i read hebrews ephesians corinth you know i just read and read and read um and um yeah i, I was just uh, one thing i did do um after i confessed and you know repented of my sins um, it wasn't a, just a power moment it wasn't like oh my goodness i'm now born again i'm saved i've got salvation it wasn't like that it was over a period of time it was over a period of, of, of months, I suppose. It was a season of time, not a moment in time for me. Because I'm not the kind of person that... Um, I suppose with two degrees and... I don't know, Just I just need, I need evidence, yeah? I'm not one of these people that would just sit there and just take it. I'm quite stubborn like that. And I wanted evidence and have answers to questions that I had and that other people actually raised to me about, okay... What is Jesus real? Is the Bible real? Where's all the proof? Where's the, where's the historical proof for it all? You know, um, how about carbon dating? How about fossil record? How about this? How about that? You know, and I just had all these questions in my head that I wanted to have answers for. So I bought myself a massive book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. A life-changing truth for a sceptical world. (laughs) And it goes through so many things um, about, you know, is it reliable? Is the Bible, how we got the Bible, the uniqueness of it? Is the resurrection a hoax or history? Um, You know, I just wanted answers. I wasn't about to just take it on board without answers. But Jesus was just working in my heart all the time, you know. And I can't tell you that at one particular time um, I was born again. But I just know that that basically um, my heart was changed. Um, I'm not the person I used to be. The law of God is on, I know we're not saved by doing good works or anything like that, but the law of God is on my heart and and I want to do what's right and good in Jesus' eyes because he's changed me, he's given me eternal life, he's given me salvation, Um, he's given me peace, joy, hope and all these things that I never had. You know, I was troubled, I was sinful, Um, I didn't have any, you know, I I had no direction in life, I was worried about where I'd go when I was dead, Um, you know, I knew I was going to go to hell, I knew it, but I just suppressed it, you know, I just, I didn't want to think about it, that's why I was clubbing and raving so much, Um, so anyway, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was born again, and I wanted to do things that were right in God's eyes. So I wanted to read, I prayed, um, I read the Bible, you know, a lot. Um, I just, my life was different. I didn't watch the old TV programs. I used to the films. I can't watch films of blasphemy, sexual immorality, nothing like that anymore. It's like my life is totally different. And only a miracle of God can make my life that different. That's all I can say. Because it's literally a miracle, and it's a supernatural thing that actually changes you from the inside out. And everyone else will probably see me and say, oh, you're still probably a similar person. Yes, I am a similar person. I'm still me. I haven't got to 49 years, and actually not, you know, I'm still me. But I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God now, and I've been born in Jesus Christ, and um, I want to do things that are right for him, live for him, um, and do things that are righteous and, and good in my life, um, not simple and evil. Um, um, I, I, I know I've been saved out of I had very black, a very dark black heart I was very deceitful very sinful and people were looking at me oh you're not but if you saw my heart and you saw the blackness within it and you could see what I've been saved from you know the immorality that was in there is no longer there you know and I praise God for that every day that he's changed my heart with new desires, um, and I've got no more dark thoughts, and only Jesus can save you from that, save me from that, you know, and there's nothing I can do with myself to save myself, that's it, you know, there was nothing, it was a miracle, God given, okay, and now I have a life of joy and peace in Jesus Christ, which I'm so thankful for. Um, And it says in John 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And I feel free. You know, I feel free and changed because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Um, And it's just like a miracle. Um, You know, and I I just want to say, you know, what profits a man or a woman to gain the whole world but to lose his or her soul? You know, it's so important. I I never forget the analogy that Ray Comfort the street preacher used. And he said, "Oh, well, would you sell your eye for a million pounds, this person? Oh, no, I wouldn't sell my eye for a million pounds. Would you sell your eye for 10 million pounds? No, no, no. No, because your eyes are precious to you. But how much more precious is the soul within you that looks out of your eyes, you know? How much, much more is precious as that soul? More important than anything, you know? Where you're going to go when you're dead is the most important thing to try and you know, know and, and search and seek for. So um, basically, I think I've said enough. But I just want to leave it with, it, with you with this. Okay, if anything today was what was being said, it resonated with you in your soul, deep down. You know, don't just leave it at the church door. Just don't do that. You know, the devil wants to take fill your mind with clutter, things of this world. Wants to distract you. Yeah. Wants you to forget, that's one of his biggest ploys. Just wants you filled with everything else in your mind, okay? And it says the God of this world blinds the eyes and minds of people, so they cannot see the light of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Um, all I urge you to do really is just it says, seek and you will find. Matthew 7, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you, yeah? Okay, that's a promise of God. You've got to seek, you've got to find. You know He's there, ready to help you to find Him. Yeah, Um, read God's love letter to you. This is a love letter. The Bible is a love letter to us humans. Read it. Pray for the truth to be revealed to you. Yeah, repent in Jesus. You will be saved. It's a promise of eternal life in heaven with Him. Okay, if you do do that. So thank you for listening to me. I appreciate you. all. Thank you very much. And I've given you a little taste of it, <coughs> but it's not the full story because there's children here. So I can't tell you the full story, really. It's 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 heavier. <laughs> but I've given you an overview. Thank you very much for listening. Thank
0: you. Yeah. Well, thank you for start. <coughs> and uh, what we'll do now, we'll uncover the baptistry. If you could follow me this way.